Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine, custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Reps defense continues to struggle as they conceded three times in the first half against Nashville on Saturday. Despite some halftime adjustments and a Thomas Chancelet brace, the defensive woes continue to hurt the Rebs down the stretch as the team falls again 3-2 in Nashville. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today from Pro Soccer, it's Caleb Pongratz. Caleb, how are you today? Very good. How are you doing today? Uh, well, uh, minus the Rebs uh, and minus the Pats, um dunkin donuts made my coffee wrong this morning so just everything is is going sideways for me so i've been better but i'm doing a podcast so i guess i can now this is kind of like therapy uh, at this point in the season i don't think i've had anything positive to say about the team uh, in the last couple of times i've been on and we probably will struggle to find some positives today so this is kind of more of a therapeutic vent session uh, and i know our, our listeners uh, feel the same way so uh, before we get into our key takeaways though i want to tell you about our presenting sponsor bet online football is back and bet online is your number one information source for all of your sports wagering info with all of the up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoffs and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember, use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Caleb, let's get to our key takeaways brought to you by The Rebellion. Go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them. And also, I believe the Supporters Summit is tonight. Uh, October 16th. If you're listening to this on Monday, uh, I believe it is tonight at 630. So uh, if you are a member of the Rebellion or the Midnight Riders, remember uh, that event is happening uh, and it is free for members. uh, And there's still time to sign up to be a member uh, if you want to go to that. But key takeaways, Caleb, what is your key takeaway from uh, Saturday's match against Nashville? Um, Key takeaway going out for the Nashville game. um, Tomas Shankalai is still very good. (laughs) <laughs> that's the key takeaway uh, that we've obviously deduced after watching that game. Um, overall, it was kind of a shaky game from start to finish, but it's good to see that there's a handful of players that still have adversity and can get over a 3 nothing deficit and try and pull something back. So that's a positive going into playoffs, but again, still a bad result going into the decision day weekend it's another kind of game where it's been decided in the first half but you see some positives and some glimmers of hope in the second half um and we'll talk about Klimpier and his adjustments later in the episode well actually why don't we just get into it now because you know with pa it's a little frustrating because he makes adjustments that seem to work and he's able to read the game and change things up but they start at such a bad spot I mean, this 3-5-2, and my key takeaway here was going to be 
we talked about the three five two. We talked about doing something like that, and and he brought out a three five two. But his wingers were attacking wingers. He put out Nacho and Ima Botang. And I think when we've talked about it, I know some people have suggested maybe putting Shankalay on the wing, and I've said, well, you want someone who's able to get back and play defense, and you have Ryan Spaulding available. I, I thought some sort of combination of, you know, Ryan put Ryan Spaulding out there, and then I don't know who you put on the right. I guess you'd have to put Nacho Hill anyway, and, and that didn't work out. But with this three five two, you know, having Ima Botang and Nacho, who are really pushing up the field, it left so many giant gaps of space, and the three in the back basically got spread out. Um, you know, Dave Romney is kind of out covering that space on the left, you know, basically playing left back at some points, and that's really not where you want your, your best center back. Um, Omar is just not fleet of foot, so when the defense is getting stretched, Omar is really struggling to cover ground. Uh, and then you have Henry Kessler, who I thought, all things considered, did a pretty decent job covering ground in that kind of hodgepodge of a three-five-two. But he's coming back from injury. Uh, and as Seth tweeted out, um, you know, he, he signaled to the sideline at one point in the first half, four-four-two. Uh, and I think it seemed pretty obvious that those center backs were just getting exploited. Uh, and, you know, Nashville figured out pretty early in the game, just put the ball down into space, into the wings, stretch out that three-man back line, and they are pretty helpless. So, Klimpier, not really what I meant by a 3-5-2, what we talked about the 3-5-2 in the past, and I guess they just don't have the personnel to run out that formation, but that formation seemed doomed from the start, and I give them credit for realizing it and making the changes at halftime, and once again, we have another week where the Revs played better in the second half than the first half, but the first half was just so, so poor, that really they did not have a chance, even after Shankly made it 3-2. I don't think a lot of people had optimism. So I'm curious to see what he does going forward after this game. Yeah, I mean, looking at that um, that lineup, obviously from the start it was it was kind of not doomed, but it was it was shaky. It was shaky, obviously, and trying to get a result with that the the personnel we have with I think we had two guys on international or four guys on international duty sorry um injuries of course and then still putting out a formation or a lineup that really doesn't like not suit the team but it it's just all about the system change and obviously the coaching change and the system change and it's a it mess. was just, it, it's a mess. It's a it's real a mess. mess. Well, I, I, I was thinking about this. I was talking about this with Sean afterwards. Really what you could have done, because in theory, I don't really want to play Ryan Spalding and Ben Sweat uh, as your wingbacks in a 3-5-2. You could do that. I guess that's your option where you put Ryan Spalding on the right. But you could also put Polster as your right wingback, which I know is not ideal. But put him on the right, put Ryan Spalding on the left, you know, and have them kind of be wingers up and down. Um even if you play, I don't know, I, I think the Nacho and Ima decisions, it seemed very attacking-minded, attack minded, and going on the road at Nashville really wasn't the spot I think that that would work in. So um, just a very frustrating, frustrating lineup decisions, I think, really doomed them from the start. Um, I, I do have some comments here, though, from some listeners, and I'll, I'll hit on, on them now so we don't have to revisit this later, but uh, Mike says, is Clint Pierre capable of in-game tactical adjustments waiting until halftime isn't going to work? And if you think back to this game, 
as I mentioned, Henry Kessler signals 4-4-2. I think it was in the 35th minute. Ten minutes later, Nashville scores, and that's the deciding goal. So maybe PA needs to be a little bit more um, early on these adjustments. Uh, you know, maybe there needs to be a decided plan B if, you know, this 3-5-2, if they run it out there against Philadelphia and it's not working, they can kind of say plan B and they can reshift. But um, I think the reason why PA held off until halftime was because he needed to bring in three new players to get the the formation uh switched up to where it could be so um i imagine though the, the other thing is that we have henry kessler back kessler is looking pretty decent i know he only got 60 minutes but when dewan jones comes back i imagine we're going to in some way either revert back to a 442 um because i think klimpier is running out of time with these experiments and he hasn't found anything that worked and i think truth be told i think the, the team wants to go back to the old system, which even though I think there isn't much of a chance of that working long term without Brandon by, it was working better than anything they've done so far under Klimpier. Yeah, I mean, there's the system definitely, I think, needs to revert back to what we were doing. Obviously, we don't have Bruce at the helm and there's obviously the personnel once they return from their international duty and a couple of guys that have knocks get healthy. I think this team can make a make maybe a run, um, but we need to see the progress right away, or it's going to turn into, hey, you were in second place for six months. Now you're in fifth, might not even get top four because now you need help from Montreal and you need to beat Philly. So it's it's turning into. Turn it into a mess, into a mess, to put it nicely. By the way, just a, a quick sidebar. I said at the top of the show that the uh, Supporters Summit was the 16th, which is tonight on Monday. It's actually Thursday the 19th. So you still have three days uh, to become a member of the Rebellion uh, to attend the Supporters Summit. But getting back to uh, the mess that is the New England Revolution, um, we did have another question here from Josh. Am I wrong to think Klimpier is just saying out loud what we've been all been thinking? What's our best 11? You don't know. Uh, what's our best formation? I don't know. He's gently pointing out how terribly the roster was built. I feel bad for him. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago that I think Klimpier is, it's unfair to, you know, acquire a roster or a locker room that is distressed, that has gone through a very turbulent time between the Bruce Arena and Richie Williams situations. He never had, you know, he's never trained these players and now he's being thrown into the fire down a stretch uh, and he's unable to bring in any new players. Um, so I, I do sympathize with him a little bit, but I also think it's possible to be, to have a bad hand and to play it poorly. And that's what's happened. I think if you know, the Revs had a one or two percent chance of winning MLS Cup when he acquired the team. Those those percentages are a lot lower now. Uh, and he's had about a month to figure out something tactically and, and maybe work around the shortcomings of this team. And I give him credit for trying new things, um, but those new things just haven't worked. So um, I, I do feel bad for him a little bit. But at the same time, I, I think what he's thrown out there just haven't worked. So uh, I, I look forward to seeing kind of a 4-4-2. And if you think about it too, you know, there is a path here, I think. Kessler has come back healthy. Dewan Jones will return back from international break. You know, you have three quarters of your, your starting back line. Um, it would be nice if Andrew Farrell was healthy. We don't know if we will be seeing him anytime soon. Um, I don't think you really want to pull Polster from the defensive midfield. So you, you do have a gap at right back. And that goes back to Josh's comment of, 
this roster was poorly built um, and right back was a very glaring weakness. So maybe you move Dewan to the right and, and play Ryan Spaulding or Ben Sweat, probably Ryan Spaulding, but um, it, it just seems like they don't have a lot of confidence in either one of them. And it, it's a very frustrating time um, because there's just a lot of deficiencies along that back line. Uh, and it's a major, major problem for this team, which is it's basically automatic at this point that they're conceding at least two goals in the game. Yeah. I mean, looking at, the revolution roster and what PA's put out uh, and obviously seeing some questions being asked. Like I noticed that someone asked, I think was it Seth asked if PA knew his best 11? Who do you remember who asked that? Yeah. Yeah. It was Seth. Um, I'm sure PA knows his best 11, but you got to also take into account. There's three guys, four guys injured, four guys on in international duty. And the rest is kind of a, mashup of which guys are in form, which guys are playing well. And it it's interesting because like when we go to look at our formation, obviously we have competent center backs. We have Dave Romney. We have Henry Kessler. Uh, Omar hasn't done horribly this year. He's done quite well when he's on the field. Uh, Bear, probably one or two games. Then you look at your outside backs and – that's where the worry jumps in. You have Andrew Farrell can play there. He's hurt. You could put Matt Polster there, but he's, in my opinion, horrible outside back. It's it's a waste. He's a better midfielder, and he's one of the best midfielders in the league when he's in his natural position. And then you have Ben Sweat, who respectfully is the new Omar. Uh, that's the nicest way to put that. And then Ryan Spaulding. I don't know why Ryan Spaulding hasn't been given really a shot, especially when he's the one player on this roster that has played under Clint PA. He played for him at Reds too. Don't know why he hasn't played yet. Or, sorry, started, because he played uh, obviously 45 minutes. Or, yeah, he came in at half. No, he didn't come in at halftime. He came in at halftime. Yes. Spaulding came in in the game uh, against Nashville. So I'm kind of worried why Spalding hasn't gotten a shot, especially with his experience with PA. Because I, from, from what I've seen and what I've been told, it was a good one. Um, other than that, like you can, you can mess around at, uh, with a formation with the guys we have that played and things work. Like, like you said, we switch tactically from the three, three, five, two, three, four, one, two, whatever you want to call it into the 4-4-2, and it worked, but it again, it was too little, too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's interesting about Spalding is, I believe, when he went on loan to Tampa, Tampa plays at kind of a 3-5-2 with attacking wingbacks. So this game in Nashville would have been a good spot for Paul Spalding to play. He's very familiar with that formation, but instead they go with Ima Botang, which again is kind of more of the aggressive winger, you know, attacking winger type of option as opposed to kind of a wing back um, who, who can kind of, you know, defense first and then push up. It was kind of more of a, you know, Ima Botang getting up the field and then sprinting back um, when Nashville is really hammering you on the counter and, 
I don't know. I, I wasn't a fan of, of the way they lined up here. And it, it is interesting that it seemed like it was a good spot to put in Ryan Spalding, who you recalled, um, and, and you're still not using him and you're still not starting him. So very bizarre. And um, you're right. They are very shorthanded. Um, and, and as a result of being shorthanded, they had to uh, make Revs 2 shorthanded and Revs 2 lost uh, on Saturday as well in the Eastern Conference. Was it the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe? Um, to Columbus Crew 2. So their season is now over um, because they were missing Esmer and Jack P and uh, uh, Jacob Jackson, obviously getting called up to um, the Revs. So they're missing three starters, and obviously that's not great for their season either. So um, really disappointing all the way around. Um, my key takeaway was essentially just going to rant about the three five two and how that was not mm-hmm. that was not exactly the three five two I was hoping to see. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll kind of say this though, because this kind of occurred to me the other night. You know. Right now, if you look at the revs, and you know we we talked last year about because people would send in arena out questions, um, and they'd say, you know, do we need to move on from Bruce? And we'd say, well, you you always got to think about what's on the other side of Bruce. And if you look at what we have right now, we have some players not really showing a full effort. We have constant and random lineup and formation changes. We have midseason transfers uh, into the team that are making no impact whatsoever, uh, and we're wasting a pretty good season from Carlos Heel, Caleb. We've reverted back to the Friedel era. Oh God! Yeah, the people. I, I, I. Oh man, we we really took for granted uh, the last five years, and we have gone right back into uh, Friedel ball. But I, 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 I'm leaning into this question because I asked this on Discord the other day. Who would you rather have coached the team, Brad Friedel or Clint Pia? It's a it's a tough choice. I don't think it's that much of a tough choice because I think I think my arg- my my answer would be Clint Pa ten times or nine times out of ten. Um, Brad Friedel, horrible coach, great scout, great scout. He's great. Got us Carlos Hill. Uh, he was involved in getting Bo. Um, great, love him. Got Tejon. Okay, like that's great. Great scout. Horrible coach. I'll, 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 I'm a broken record on that. Clumpier. Clumpier led Revs to, to one of their best seasons. And I think if he had more time with this unit, things would start clicking. I think, I th- I think that's an honest truth. But do I think he should continue with the team? No, because I don't think he's done enough to deserve it. If he wins MLS Cup, yeah, it's his team. He can do whatever he wants. That's the nicest way to put it. But um, the coaching situation will be an intriguing one. Well, sorry, coaching and sporting director search will be an interesting one going into 2024. But obviously, that is an off-season concern at the moment. Yeah, and I think you nailed it, too, with Klimpier. Another thing, too, that's important to talk about Klimpier um you know, Revs 2 obviously had a winning record. Obviously, he's done a really good job down there. But winning isn't necessarily the most important thing, as exhibited by the fact that the Revs plucked people from Revs 2 uh, during their playoff run uh, for a game in Nashville. You know, development is kind of the more important uh, thing. And so for Klimpier, um, you know, it's, it's just a really totally different scenario to move up and, and kind of make this adjustment with Re- the, the revs. But um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, if there is a shot of him being 
in the running for the head coaching job. I, I think that's gone. I imagine they will let him move back to Revs 2 if he would like to move back to Revs 2 because, as you mentioned, he did a fine job there uh, in developing players, and I think he's been a key person of this kind of academy to Revs 1 pipeline. Uh, but with that being said, I, I don't think he's really the guy for the senior team. And I, I have to wonder, too, if he even wants this job, uh, to be honest with you, because it seems like things are going really sideways uh, with this locker room uh, and with this team. And it doesn't seem like anyone is happy right now. And if I'm Klimpier, you know, I I probably didn't ask for this. I'm probably being stepped in because there really was no other choices uh, for this team. So he's really taking one on the chin here. And uh, I I sympathize with him. But uh, with that being said, I I appreciate the service, Clint. Um, Now now back to Revs 2. We did get a question from Seamus here, by the way. Despite having secured a playoff spot, the end to the season feels worse than last year. Uh, I have tickets, and I don't even plan to use them for the final games. Uh, is there optimism to be had in the possibility of finding a coach better than Bruce to lead the Revs next year, and who is that? Uh, so let's let's go there, and I know The Athletic had an article uh, a few weeks ago, and it's worth noting that the sporting director is apparently the priority for the Revs, which to me, you know, I know Phil Neville and I believe Savarisi is tied to um, the Revs' job, um, that's what the athletic article said. But I, I take that with a grain of salt because usually the sporting director comes before the head coach. So if the Revs are prioritizing a sporting director, I think until then we won't have any idea who is in the running. But um, with that being said, do you think the Revs will have a possibility of finding a better coach than Bruce? And do you have anyone in mind, Caleb? Better than coach, better coach than Bruce in MLS? Absolutely not. There's, there's not many coaches that are better than Bruce. And obviously it's kind of tough to replace someone of that caliber. And in all honesty, I think the, I think the Revs get an MLS guy. They're going to get someone who knows the league. Um, I doubt, I highly doubt that they go and outsource somebody else from Europe or from elsewhere um, similar to like Charlotte. Charlotte is get is in talks with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I don't think the Rebs are going to go talk to Ole Gunnar, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I, I just don't think that that's a person or coach that's someone that the Rebs will be interested in. It's going to be someone that knows the league, knows how to operate, how to run his players, is used to everything that is ongoing, and I honestly, I think uh, Gio Savarese is probably the best fit. Um, I know the article um, Tom Bogare put out was between Phil Neville and, uh, and Gio were, were the two options. Um, Gio led the Timbers to two MLS Cup final appearances and uh, the MLS's back tournament title in 2020. He's a coach that knows about winning and had a positive record while in Portland. And I think that he's a coach that can bring something to the table. Um, When it comes to Phil Neville, he's also not a horrible option. Um, Though I feel like when he was in Miami, he didn't really get all the keys to do what he wants. And I kind of feel bad for Phil Neville uh, with his Miami situation because they signed Messi and then basically were like, all right, we're getting uh, Tata Martino and get out of here. So I I think Miami would have been fine if 
Bill Neville stayed too with Messi joining because it's, it's dial in, it's Messi. But um, if it came to Phil versus Gio, I think Gio is probably the better fit. Um, the only other coach I could consider or would prefer the Revs talk to is someone like Caleb Porter um, or Adrian Heath, but I don't think they'll go after Adrian Heath due to his close I wouldn't say ties, but close relation with Bruce Arena, because um, that's that's a maroon, that's an arena guy right there. So uh, I think they're trying to just get away from that area. So uh, my my three would be those three. I, I agree with everything you said. And I think they stay away from Heath. I also think not just because of the arena ties, but I'm not really too impressed with Adrian Heath's record. Um, he strikes me as a good MLS coach, but is he really going to be a next level guy or is, is it doesn't strike me as a very ambitious um, coach. And I shouldn't say ambitious, but I'm just not really in love with Adrian Heath's record. I, I think we've talked about it a little bit before. I, I think I, most of those names that you mentioned, I, I agree with. Um, I, I think you have Caleb Porter. who's won MLS cup. Um, Robin Frazier took a really bad, I shouldn't say a really bad Colorado team, but he's had to really had draws with uh, Shivas and Colorado, and you know he he was first place in the Western Conference two years ago uh, with Colorado before uh, that team decided to not be very competitive. So I wonder what he could do with uh, a bigger budget, um, and I think that's kind of your floor in terms of like ambition, quote unquote, uh, in a coach of a guy that might be high upside that hasn't had a good chance uh, or a fair chance in MLS that maybe. If you give him the keys, um, he can get the best out of your players. Uh, I also think there's going to be there is a handful of interesting names out there like, you know, Bob Bradley, I think, is coaching a team in Norway and his contract ends, I believe, at the end of this calendar year. So in theory, he's going to be on the market. Um, that's a, I say, big name, quote unquote. Um, I also think if the Galaxy let go of Greg Vanny, that's another MLS Cup winner. Like, are you giving Greg Vanny a call? Like, maybe that's a big name, quote unquote. Um, I shouldn't say big name. I guess Greg Vanny is not a big name, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yes. So I, I think there is going to be a lot of coaching options. They all seem to be a little bit flawed. I'm going to throw out one more name, though, because I think it's a very... Well, there's two names I'm going to throw out. One, I'm going to be lazy and say Jesse Marsh. I don't know if they can land him, but he's out there. Um, and I think that is a ambitious yep. coach that I think is very highly touted. And I think if you get him on the phone and say, you've got a very big budget. We have a lot of money that we've made from... Petrovic and Turner and Tejon and you know we're gonna have a couple DP spots opening up and you know here you go I think maybe he answers that call I don't know if he comes in if it depends on if he wants to come back to MLS or not but the other name that I think is interesting is I believe Oscar Pereja's contract with Orlando ends after this season and it's very bizarre for a team to be in second place in their conference and to be peaking at the right time and that coach is not under contract. And I imagine that Orlando is trying to retain him. And he, at this stage, is just going to test the market uh, in the offseason. And I think New England is going to be one of the more interesting jobs that's open. So I wonder if Oscar Pereja, that seems to be someone that might make their way up. Uh, and that might be one of the names that I think, if we're talking about coaches in MLS, um, I think that is a name that would really interest me. And I'd also be curious, too, if um, Jim Curtin didn't sign his extension, if he would be on the short list for uh, New England, because Philadelphia, uh, you know, we have the um, let's let's get this over with Derby this weekend with Philadelphia having, a, a, you know, a, a good chunk of their core players um, ready to leave Philadelphia uh, and, and New England uh, in their 
mess of a, a season uh, colliding on Saturday. Um, boy, that's two teams that I think are uh, really running through the motions, and it's kind of a lame duck season for both of them. So, um, you know, I, I wonder if Ernst Tanner and Jim Curtin didn't sign extensions and they were both leaving, um, if the Revs could poach one or both of them. Uh, but uh, they have unfortunately been locked down to Philadelphia and they have some work to do this offseason. Um. I agree with all those uh, as well. Um, good points made. Um, Jesse Marsh, I believe right now, is working for CBS, um, doing Paramount Plus stuff for Champions League. So that would be an interesting one. I actually like that one, but I don't know if he's interested in leaving Europe. But good points. I like it. TV gigs are cushy, so I don't blame him if he wants to uh, ignore Robert Kraft's call and, and just stay on TV. So, uh, Caleb, we, have, we unfortunately have to get back to the game. I'm sorry. We've been living in a fantasy world. We don't have to talk about this crap. Uh, let's get to some positives, though. Uh, Jacob Jackson Johnson started um, his first MLS game, and I thought he did pretty decent. Porter says, only one game, but is Jackson impressing? Um, first off, let's just start here. What do you think about his performance? Um, I think so. Obviously, I live on Twitter, obviously. Um, anyone who is blaming Jacob Jackson for any of those goals does not know what it's like to be a goalkeeper or be on a team where you have a really good goalkeeper and a woeful defense during that game. Jacob Jackson shined. I think he played really well. Um, he made a couple unbelievable saves on questionably one of, one of the MVPs for this year. He made four diving stops to stop Hany Mukhtar. Um, and I, I I would argue uh, if he wasn't in that, we would have lost this game seven, eight, nine, maybe nothing. Because at that point, are we really going to go try and score two goals? Probably not. Um, I, I really think that Jacob Jackson did well with the keys that he was given. And I know he got praise from uh, Polster, Farrell, and is one, uh, one other name I'm forgetting from the quote that he said um, about saying, like, this is your chance. I think he took this chance, and I think he delivered. And it kind of shows what, um, what we were getting on when we drafted him. Um, when we drafted him, I believe, two years ago or three years ago? After, yeah, two, uh, two years ago. Now. Yes. 2022. Um, 2022. Um, it kind of shows that the Reds were smart in picking a goalkeeper in the first round. Uh, he was 24th overall. And I think that uh, from what I've seen with him for Reds 2 and then what I just saw with him, obviously, with the first team, like he's, he's a good goalkeeper. And I think that with a full-strength 11, he would do exceptional. I agree with you 100%. And just to give some additional context, according to FootMob, Nashville had 3.05 expected goals on the day. So the three goals really is kind of reflecting of Nashville's performance. As you mentioned, first two goals definitely had no chance uh, on either one of those. Um, I guess the second one, you could say he could have come out of his net, but really that was on uh, the center backs for leaving Sturridge alone. We'll complain about that goal later because I have a lot to say about that one. Uh, the third goal, maybe he could have come out a little bit sooner, but that was a breakaway, breakaway one-on-one chance. Uh, so I, I find it difficult to blame a uh, goalkeeper. And that Dax McCarty shot, I mean, what could you, you know, come on. You, you can't do anything about that. You well, really can't. Insane goal, insane goal. So, um, yeah, I, I think Jackson was fine. Uh, it is worth noting, I believe he had three, uh, five saves. Well, let me see here. 
10 shots on target, three goals. So I guess he had seven saves. Uh, according to Foot Mob, uh, three of them were diving saves, uh, including one that he tipped the ball around the post. I believe you mentioned that that uh, goal already or that shot already. Uh, so he, he had some very good moments in this one. Uh, Mike from New Hampshire says, is Jackson the move at goalkeeper? Peter says, should Jackson start against Philly? I'm going to just kind of editorialize here and say, you know, in my opinion, if that sleek is not ready, which it doesn't seem like he is, you know Earl Edwards, you know what you're getting out of him. He's a fine goalkeeper. I think you prefer him to be your backup. He's not your long-term solution at goalkeeper. I think from here on out, if that sleek is not starting, Jacob Jackson is. You need to figure out what you have in Jacob Jackson as a young prospect. You need to see if he's going to make the leap up to either, uh, even if he's not a starter, if he can be a backup in MLS, if you need him to pinch. Um, I think you get Jackson as many starts. If that sleek is not starting, I want Jacob Jackson. Caleb, what's your thoughts? Um, when looking at obviously the Reds, um, goalkeeper situation, it's, it's a tough one. Cause from, from what I've heard about Tomas Voxelik is he is healthy. It's just his fitness level is not up to, uh, Hitchcock's performance. It's, it's not up to his preference. I don't even know what that means, but that's what I've been told. Um, and I've also been told that Vasek has not been training well. So I wouldn't put in a goalie. I don't care how, how experienced he is if he's training horribly. And um, looking at contracts, obviously, like Vasek, we have him uh, through the end of the year with two club options. Jacob Jackson actually is out of contract in December. He is out of contract December 31st, 2023, according to Transfer Market. Uh, Earl Everett Jr. has another year as well. Um, and after that, those are your three goalkeepers uh, going into 2024. In my preference, Jacob Jackson should be the one for the remainder of the year. Um, Earl Everett Jr., great player, great, even better person. Um, love him, but I think that Going into this playoff run, you need to give the kid a shot. And again, like you were adding on, should Jacob Jackson be promoted from uh, MLS Next Pro starter to an MLS backup? I think so. Looking at, obviously, the Reds 2 roster, too. They have Max Weinstein, who's 19, and Nampo, uh, Nico Campuzano, who's 25. Both of them are exceptional goalkeepers. Um, so I think that Reds 2 will be completely fine if they miss out on one of them, uh, or sorry, Jacob Jackson leaving that team and moving up. But um, I, I really don't think Earl Edwards sh not should be, but like would be a starter on this team. Um, so uh, in my opinion, give the kid a chance. Uh, don't start Voslik or even put him on the bench until he's one fit and two training well and three uh attempt to uh, attempt to show yourself sh show it your not only show yourself show your teammates and show the fans that you are what is good for the future of this team that's what i'd say for jacob jackson uh, i i will add uh transfer market sometimes is uh the dates are a little messy if they do not have exact contract details. So Jackson is on his rookie contract and usually that's four years and there's a ton of team options. So um, yeah. I believe he probably has a team option next year. Again, I can't confirm that, but transfer market 
with uh, some contract data that's not publicly available, they'll just throw out a date. Or, or sometimes with team options, they list how long the uh, guaranteed contract is, and they don't include the team option. So just want to give that kind of quick caveat there that I, I believe yeah. Jackson is still under team control for next year. Um, I, mean, I think Yeah, that, he, has, he has a couple team options. Yeah, But I, I think you're right. He's achieved everything he can at Revs 2, and so you need to figure out, okay, is this guy being elevated to number two for 2024, or does he have a future here or not? Because it's, it's, he's been there two years, and you're right. Max Weinstein is the next guy in the pipeline, so you don't want Jacob Jackson blocking Weinstein if you don't have any in, interest in, in playing him at the next level. But so far, so good. One start into Jacob Jackson's career. Uh, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, yes. Also, also, Alfred said, I'm sorry, but I'd rather see what Vasily has uh, rather than Jackson, especially if he's getting the nod because Rebs 2 coach uh, liked him. I, I will say um, that. Well, I, I, I think ahead. I think that's uh, the implication there is favoritism. But I, I do think that there is some truth that Vasily is just not ready. And I, I mean, I think that's a pretty damning indictment for him because he was supposed to be a game changer instantly. That was kind of the appeal to him. Um, and the fact that we're going over to our long term project here is you know, not a good sign for Vasilik. I don't think it has to do with favoritism because I think, truth be told, I think Klimpier is really coaching for, you know, I, I don't think he has a chance at the first team job at this point, but he obviously is trying to win. So for him, there's no, uh, you know, I don't care how much you like Jacob Jackson, you got to play who who gives you the best chance of winning. So I I, I don't think it's a favoritism thing. Um, and it would be nice to see what Vasilik has. Um, but I, I think as you, as you said, um, if he's not ready, he's not ready. Um, and l- learn something about Jacob Jackson as opposed to a guy that, um, you know, is, is not going to be informed and is not going to help you win. Yeah. The last point I'll add to that, um, going on to that, Vastic has not played in a game since May. He has not played in a game since May. Jacob Jackson has played in 13 games and is a hot hand. I'm going with the hot hand. And argue, argumentative, if Vastic's not ready and Earl Edwards is dealing with an injury... I'm calling up Max Weinstein because that 19-year-old is really, really, really good. And you can see if you go to Reds 2 games or if you went to Reds 2 games this year, you can see glimpses of all three. You can see Brad Knighton in Max Weinstein. You can see Georgie Petrovich in Max Weinstein. And you can see Matt Turner in Max Weinstein. Max Weinstein, if Jacob Jackson isn't the kid for the future, Max Weinstein is. I agree. He's a very good prospect, but I got to say the fact that Fat Sleek is, I think it's just really, really damning that he is not ready to go because I think the whole intention of signing him was for this season. It wasn't for next season. And so I, I, it's very discouraging to see whatever is happening here. And by the way, we got one more comment. Anime Stoner says, not a stab at Jackson, though he wasn't that bad. But what do you think is the thought process of putting him in over Earl Edwards Jr.? We touched on that. Uh, and over Vatsleek, who didn't even travel. What is going on that, with that position? I just want to say it's weird Vatsleek was on the bench one week and then is gone. So I don't know if he's re-injured something. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, from what I, I'm hearing similar things, Caleb, which is that like, He's just not training well. Um, and I don't know if that's an existing injury. I know some people have pointed out that I guess he failed a physical at Huddersfield, which is why he wasn't re-signed, um, which I didn't know about until people pointed that out to me. Um, uh, maybe he's re-injured something. I, I don't know. But um, regardless, it's bad. He's not on the injury report. Um, it's just bad. So I, and, and if you're having these problems now, who knows what problems you're going to have. If he has a long-term injury, you might have an issue next season too. So I, I think you need to figure out what you have in Jacob Jackson. You know what you have in Earl Edwards. Figure out what you have in uh, Jacob Jackson. Uh, 
Teal Forever scenario. Revs make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals or deeper. If this happens, I realize this probably won't happen, but if it does, what changes need to happen between now and then? I.e., what formations are used, who performs better or differently, who gets healthy to make this happen? I'm going to say, I'm just going to throw this out here. We haven't talked about this position yet, but, and, and when we talk about what's gone wrong with this team, we talk about Bruce Arena, we talk about Klimpier, we talk about Richie Williams, we talk about selling Petro, we talk about Brandon Buys injuries, we talk about the formation changes. We really overlook that the striker position has gone cold. The offense right now is Thomas Chancalet and Carlos Hill, and sometimes Gustavo Bo if he's out there. That's essentially the offense right now. Giacomo Vrioni has not scored in a long time. Bobby Wood has not scored in a long time. A major difference between the beginning of the season and the second half of the season post-Leagues Cup is that the strikers were scoring, whether it was Bobby Wood or, or Vrioni, they were scoring goals, and they were scoring goals at a good rate, and they haven't scored in a long, long time. So I think what needs to change is we need to start getting some more production from the striker position, as well as all the other things I've ranted about in terms of the back line, the formation, figuring all that, figuring out how to get organized in the back. It's really just get organized in the back and score goals up top. Those are the two things that we need to do. Basically, just get better on offense and defense. That's all you need to do. Caleb, anything you want to add? Yeah, strikers need to be much better. Um, I would say the only two players, or sorry, three players that haven't dropped in form are obviously Chankalai, uh, Carlos Heel, and I would argue Matt Polster. The only issue of with Polster is they played him out of position. Polster's still the same guy. It's just you're, you're playing a center back. Or sorry, you're playing a center mid at left back that's right-footed. You might as well play center back at this point. Yeah, like, what are we doing? Um, other than that, I think, obviously, our strikers need to get their, respectfully, get their heads out of their asses, uh, start scoring goals, and, uh, play, again, similar to, like I said, for the goalkeeper, play the hot foot. Play the hot foot. Who's doing well in training? Play the one that's scoring. All we need to do is we need our goalkeeper that we signed over the summer to magically get in form. We need the injuries to heal. We need the tactics to figure itself out. We need to get better on defense. We need to get better on offense. That's all we need to do. Just a little bit of everything. And by a little bit, I mean a lot of everything. Um, by the way, one other thing, too. Uh, Joshua Bulma didn't even make the bench yesterday for Revs, too. Is that correct? I, I think someone told me he didn't even make the, the bench. Yes. So I have context to that. Josh Bulma is dealing with an injury. Um, he, he, yes, he was. Uh, he was at the Revs 2 game. Uh, he was in the stands. Uh, he's dealing. He's dealing with a leg injury. Um um, the hope is that he will be maybe ready for, um, the Philadelphia game, um, as he is a first team player, he may be ready for the Philly game, but, uh, again, we'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, we, uh, super draft talk really is for the off season, but you want to talk about, um, a miss, uh, Joshua Bulma. And, and I think a lot of that is because they tried converting him to right back and that's not his position, but it is interesting how he has fallen out of everyone's mind but at the beginning of the season when he was drafted Bruce Arena was talking about him like he was going to challenge for the starting eight position um and then they got Latif Bussing and Noel Buck emerged and and he just kind of faded into the background but um I mean you you talk about a guy that you know complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of expectations at the beginning of the year and where he is now I mean he's a complete afterthought um but but I wonder if you know uh, talking about the three five two, you know, maybe Bulma could have played a right back position in the three five two, where he doesn't have to play as much defense. Anyway, I digress. Mike Kennedy, yeah, I, I, 
Good. I think he's a sorry. Just to add, I think Bolmo was a good player for Reds too this season. Um, he's one of their focal players of why they succeeded. But um, I think that he should have given or should have been given a contract similar to um, someone like a Santiago Suarez, where he plays the plays the year in Reds too, and then then joins the first team. Kind of one of those things. That's one of the the blessings and the curses of having the second team is you can get players that go to the second team and then can elevate to the first team. And I think, I think Josh with a, with a little bit more experienced uh, will, will perform um, in MLS. But again, I think he needed a little bit more, more time. But I think he was a generation Adidas player too. So his contract was automatic. Correct. Uh, so I, Correct. so, but you're right. I mean, I think playing at revs two probably helped him, but I, I, it is very interesting how they talked about him before the season and where he is now. I mean, he was expected to be an impact player on this team, and he really isn't. And I, I'm not sure what his role is going forward on this team because I think he is a winger or attacking midfielder, and they have a chock full of them uh, at the ref. So I, he might be a good player, but I, I just don't know what his path is going forward for this team. And I, I don't think it's wing back, um, or else we'd be we'd be seeing him. Although he is dealing with an injury, as you mentioned, because I I didn't have that context. I didn't realize he was injured, but um, yeah, I, I think that 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 I'll I'll give him a pass for for not being available. Uh, Mike Kennedy, the Revs made Nashville look like 1970 Brazil in the first half. Um, how and why does this keep happening? Is it tactics, personnel, incredibly bad luck? Would love to have your take. I don't want to hammer this too long because I feel like we've complained enough. But just that that formation and there was just space available all the way up and down the wings, really stretched out the the three center backs um, horizontally. And um, yeah, I, I think that first half was really just a very, very poor setup in the team. And the other thing too, this formation, I don't think it would work if you had a full preseason, but there's more of a chance of it working if you have a full preseason. They had a week work worth of uh, practice with it. And uh, it, yeah, it was just doomed from the start. So um, I don't know if we yeah. need to hammer that anymore. Any, any thoughts on that, Caleb? Uh, the defense needs to be better. That includes midfield and obviously the center backs. Uh, I know one key comment, uh, earlier that I saw was about the Sam Sturridge header. Oh, let's, let's, let's get into that though. While we're, while we're on that, cause I want to rant about this play. Andy from Revs Nation. How does a team rolling with three big center backs give up an absolutely free header to Sturridge on that second goal? If you haven't seen it, which, you know, don't look it up. I'll describe it for you, but it's a, just a simple long ball down to the left corner cross to the center Sturridge wide open I mean Omar was next to him and then I think just kind of wasn't paying attention Sturridge is able to just kind of take a couple steps back and he's perfectly in between Omar and uh, Dave Romney I believe uh, and just heads it I mean it was a wide open header within the six yard box it would be hard to miss that shot and I don't particularly think there was anything super skillful or super complex about that play it's just a simple Nashville boots it long Nacho is up the field a little bit so of course um, you know, I forget who crosses it in, but Nashville's able to get to that ball. Nacho is not a defender, so he doesn't really close it down very well. It's just a simple, as long as that cross is accurate, it's a goal. There's no skill in that long ball over the top. It's a simple cross and it's a simple finish. And there's nothing Jacob Jackson could do in that, in, in my opinion. Just lazy defense. Very, very easy goal for Nashville. It's the easiest goal I've seen in MLS this season. Um, just poor defense. So that's my rant. Yeah, I think there was a miscommunication on that play between uh, Dave Romney and uh, Omar Gonzalez about whose mark it really was. But again, you can't have a free header in your box. That's soccer 101. You learn that at U10. Um, 
defend the boxes, you win the game, and the Reds didn't defend their boxes. Uh, that's how you lose the game. Yep, two two veteran center backs, and so it those things happen, but just needs to be better. Uh, Steve McGrogan says, step coach needs to stop running experiments. I really like calling uh, Clint P.A. step coach. You're not my real coach. Um, Alden says, uh, was Jack P. good? Uh, and he also says, can we replace Ben Sweat with Peyton Miller next year? Uh, I, I don't think Ben Sweat has any chance of coming back next year. Just Not, not just because of Peyton Miller, but uh, I think Ryan Spaulding is better than Ben Sweat. So if you're going to keep one of them, one of those players, uh, you're, you're keeping um, Ryan Spaulding. And I don't think you need two left backs. But Peyton Miller is being elevated to the uh, first team next year. So I, I absolutely think uh, Peyton Miller will, can replace uh, what we're getting out of Ben Sweat. Um, in terms of Jack P, I honestly don't have any notes on Jack P. Caleb, do you have any thoughts on uh, Jack P's performance? Jack P was okay. Um, I think he performed well, but I would have preferred him be with Revs too than be with the first team. Uh, I think that it's more important to have him for uh, an important playoff game than have him for an MLS game. And uh, I think he did well. I think he, he moved the ball when he was on the field uh, in instances, but again, I, I wouldn't have gone with that experiment. Um, and then adding on the Ben Sweat, Peyton Miller thing, I think Peyton Miller will be a starter next year. Um, and I wholeheartedly mean that. Um, ben Sweat probably in my opinion, should not have a contract next year. Um, and when it comes to Spalding, Spalding's obviously better than Sweat. Um, Spalding performed well with the Rowdies when he was on loan, and he's done quite well when he was here. So I'd be intrigued to see if we don't keep Spalding, what is he worth? But I would love Ryan. I love Ryan Spalding. I don't want Ryan Spalding to leave, but. I guarantee those are questions that will be asked. It will be interesting to see what happens. And maybe if Dewan Jones is sold, maybe they're able to keep Ryan Spaulding on the roster. But three three left backs is tough to hold. Um, and I think Ryan Spaulding has increased his value. So, you know, is, is he potentially um, a trade chip for the Rebs? Uh, I, I don't know. It's You could loan him back out to USL um, and, and see how he does there. He's certainly a good player, and I think he should be getting minutes somewhere. Um, but it's it's tough to know what the Rebs are going to do with him, and it's not like he's a young prospect like Peyton Miller. Um, so it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle that in the offseason because um, he's kind of too good to dump, but not good enough to play over Dewan Jones, um, and he's not your long-term project like Peyton. So uh, Porter also says, uh, oh, by the way, Jack P, 8 for 9 on passing. He only had 18 touches in 45 minutes, uh, but was 3 for 5 on ground duels, 0 for 1 on aerial duels, 2 for 2 on tackles. Um, he had an okay day. Um, not Nothing too, too bad here, just in the overly, underlying numbers, um, but I can't say I, I remember you know, thinking uh, he, he had a performance to die for. So, um, oh, sure, I'll give him a passing grade. Uh, Porter, uh, while the Revolution 2 season comes to a close, who do you see as standout players that can make a break into the first team in 2024? Caleb, you've already said Peyton Miller. I think that is the... Uh, well, I, I would also add Jacob Jackson. If Jackson is able to perform here, I think there's a chance that maybe he goes in as the number two next season and, and gets some starts. Uh, if there's an injury to Vatsleek, who apparently is... You know, maybe he'll be in shape by next season, maybe not. But um, Peyton Miller, I think, is the obvious choice there uh and then uh do we want to say jas uh i don't know if he's going to get a first team contract but he had a phenomenal season down there uh at revs too as well and considering the revs problems at striker it would not shock me if they promote him uh into kind of a backup role next year so i think those are the three guys that i'm paying attention to uh i would say for players that i would monitor other than the players you mentioned 
Victor Souza was an iron man for Reds 2 last year. He led the team in minutes, um, was, I believe, fourth in passing, uh, sixth in interceptions. He had a goal uh, defensively. He was a rock. And his teammate with him, Pierre Caillé, again, another rock. Um, I think both of them minimum should go to preseason with the Reds next season. Both of them have been class. And then another young player that I think the Reds should look at is Malcolm Fry going forward. I think he had an exceptional year in his first year as a pro. And I think those three names are definitely uh, people to look out for, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steve says, good to see Kessler back out there. How serious do we think Andrew's, Andrew's injury is? Also, uh, Romney appreciation. Um, I, I second the good to see Kessler back out there. In terms of Andrew Farrell's injury, it must be serious because they need outside back depth um, right now, and, and he's one of the few players that can kind of play that right back spot. Um, and also, I don't know what their contingency plan would have been if one of the three center backs went down who'd moved uh, probably Matt Polster, I guess, um, since he can play anywhere that uh, according to Klimpier. So, but in terms of Andrew's injury, I, I don't have a status update, but it must be serious enough uh, that he's not even on the roster. Because you think if he could go in there and give you 30 minutes in a pinch, um, he would be on the bench in some form or fashion. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's season-ending injury, but um, it's certainly not a good thing, and I wouldn't be shocked if he misses the Philly game. Yeah, just the only thing I know in regard to that, uh, after the Columbus game on uh, October 4th, uh, I did see Andrew leave the stadium. He did have a quite a heavy limp in that right leg. Uh, I don't know what the injury is or what his timetable is, but uh, you could tell when he was leaving the stadium and saying bye to some fans, uh, he was hurting. So, uh, Steve also says, uh, Carlos Hill seemed to have had more desperate passes that got intercepted lately. Uh, or am I just seeing that more because of the way games have been going and the state of the team? Players are disjointed and not used to playing with those who have been out. Uh, I think the formation has to do with a little bit of that as well. Uh, just to give you some context, though, Carlos Hill was uh, 86% passing, 57 for 66, but really not a ton uh, able to get into the box. He had 11 passes into the final third, which sounds great, uh, but he was 0 for 11 on crosses. He had no chances created, um, so really, really disappointing um, kind of offensive, I'll say, performance from uh, Carlos Hill. He did have, have the shot that led to the uh, Shankalai second goal, uh, so I guess we can give him some um, credit for that. But uh, I, I think this wasn't Carlos Hill's best game. Um, I don't know if I'd define them as desperate passes, but it certainly seems like the offense is out of sync. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we've seen Carlos Hill getting the ball into more dangerous places uh, a lot better than he did on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, Hill's, Carlos Hill's playing his game. Um, obviously, players around him need to get better, but... I don't think it's more desperation. It's more of just trying to be on the same page. And I think that uh, things would be changed. Steve also says, did you notice the players arguing with each other after silly giveaways? Not a happy team. I, I agree with that as well. Usually after a turnover, you see two or three players kind of stick out their arms and saying, what are we doing? Um, it's, it, things are not going well right now for this team. Uh, Chad says it's over. Gamble day every day says team is screwed. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, fair enough. Uh, does Matt Turner save that says, what are some fun activities to do on a Saturday evening in autumn instead of watching the Revs? These are uh, that's a very good question. 
Um, I I don't know because this is all I do. I do a podcast, so I have to watch the revs. Unfortunately, um, I would say that college basketball is starting up, but uh, well, I'm a Bryant basketball fan, and if you know anything about Bryant basketball, our head coach isn't doing very well right now, so I'm not looking forward to college basketball season. Uh, so I, I could use some recommendations, Caleb. You you have any ideas on uh, what we could do Saturday nights instead of watching this team? Nothing pumpkin related because you'll annoy uh, Tom Quinlan. Um, so instead. Um, go on a hike. Go enjoy the great foil, fol, foliage, 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 foliage of the outdoors. Go, well, he said e- he said outdoors. evening though. You're not gonna go. You're not gonna go hiking at night, Caleb. Maybe you're climbing a mountain at night and you want to do an overnight on the mountain. Hmm. Well, I don't recommend that. But uh, does Matt Turner save that? Uh, let us know how your overnight hike does, uh, and, and you know, <laughs> if you survive, if you survive, let us know how that goes. Derek says Frioni should not play another game in a Revs jersey. He also says hashtag extend Gustavo Bo. Um, I, I think Frioni is going to play a little bit down the stretch here, um, even though he's not super impactful. But um, the Gustavo Bo thing, look, uh, an all-time, I, I don't know, it depends on how your, your definition of great player, but obviously a very important player in Revolution history. <clears throat> you know, he's, he's top 10 in goals. Um, really impactful signing for the Revs. Obviously, was a key piece in the arena era. It's time. It's it's time we move on. And I think that spot um, is either going to Chancelay or I, I know you've reported Caleb that it's not, he, he uh, triggering his purchase option wouldn't lead to a designated player. If if he's a TAM player or not a designated player, you go out and you find another designated player. Um, I, I think Gustavo Bo, if he is extended, um, he is going to be well below the designated player threshold uh, if he's going to remain with the Rebs in 2024. And I'm not sure he wants to do that. So, um, yeah, you, you extend Gustavo Bo at a reasonable cost. I, I think at this point you have to pay him like he's a backup striker. Yeah, I mean – it's one of those things where um, age comes into factor as well as uh, performances and time. I think Bo should be re-signed. Um, from what I've been told, Chonkalize is not a DP unless his contract gets completely restructured. That's literally I, – I, I know people that have seen the contract. That's who I talked to when I made my article about it. Um, I, I think if – we can't get him on a TAM deal. Uh, that's Bo. That is, um, that's unfortunate. But I think that uh, overall, it's it, it's tough. It's really tough. Going into this year, we're going to have to make a lot of changes. And it, it'll be intriguing to see which direction uh, the team goes in to make sure that things are done correctly. And um, I think that the Revs are more than capable of going out and getting someone. But only time will tell. Uh, Tim also says Chancelay is awesome. He tracked back into the Revs box to make a defensive play around the 75th minute. Love the defensive effort. Good example for the rest of the team. I think he's a must purchase whether or not he's a designated player. Um, he has really come in and made a great impact. And as I said earlier, he, him and Heal are, are basically the offense uh, at this stage. Uh, Chris Lucas, do you think Nashville will take Sturridge for Vrioni? Vrioni played for Juventus after all. McCoon played for, for Juventus in the academy system too, right? I mean, two, two, two Juventus players for Sturridge. I mean, come on, Nashville. That's a no-brainer. Am I right? Hey, people forget Wilfred Captoon played with Messi at Barcelona. But that's a good point. We we need to sign him too. Let, yeah, let's 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 get him back. Let's get him back. <laughs> Maybe he can play right back. Paulo says um, second game in three that Mark Anthony K has been trash. Time to bench him. I liked T Mac. Can he crack the starting eleven against Philadelphia? Um, on that one, I don't know if Buck is back for the Philly game. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I personally, K to me, I'm I'm good with. Um, I, I think at this point, I don't, I wouldn't play both him and Polster. I think you play one of them. Um, I guess a lot of it depends on what formation you're playing, but uh, I, I'm I'm. I'm fine with giving t- Tommy McNamara a role out there and, you know, seeing if he, him and Polster can kind of recreate their 2021 magic, quote unquote. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with Mark Anthony K. Uh, Caleb, what's your thoughts? Mark Anthony K needs a little bit of work, but I think that uh, I doubt he'll get benched. I really do. I think him and Polster in that midfield is really what's going to hone in uh, how offensively we perform. Um, with Buck coming back, uh, that would make a difference. Harks obviously still out with a fractured Adam's apple. Uh, timetable unknown. So the um, the midfield's kind of a position where you need your best players. If T Mac can fit in there, let's try it. But I doubt it. Uh, Paulo says said feelings on a Dewan Jones, Kessler, Romney, Ryan Spalding back four. I think that's the answer if Farrell's not available. If not, I think you put Farrell out on the run right back and, and hope he can kind of hold down that position since he used to play there so often. But I think that's your if you're going back to a back four uh, and you're doing either a four four two diamond or you're going a four two three one. If you're going with a four man back line, I think that is the answer to the puzzle. Um, if PA is going there, um, any any disagreement with that? I agree. Um, New England, uh, any Revs grudge life or GL on Twitter, what has Bilolo done in his 20 years with the club that warrants Kraft's not even discussing his job status with him? I don't mean handle things the Kraft don't have to worry about it. This is another question where I feel like the answer is in the question. Um, but this is referring to Bilolo did a press conference last month when all the Bruce drama happened. And I believe someone asked him, I think it, it might have been someone from The Athletic, I don't remember exactly who, but they asked if he had assurances that he would be returning next year. And essentially, he said something like, I've never discussed my job status with the crafts. And I think some people took that to mean, um, you know, he, he either he is tenured in and he, he has all the job security in the world, or it means he has no job reviews. I think that just means it's not common for the club president to be told whether or not he's coming back next year. Um, So I, I I didn't read a ton into that comment as much as other people did. Um, But in terms of why he's there, I think he is involved in two things right now, at least one, the world cup bid, which he was successful at. And two, the stadium, which they have not been successful at. Um, But I, I know that there is a lot of workings going on around Everett. It seems like, you know, I see people online talking about Everett and that's been rumored for years and I'm sure he's knee deep in negotiations with that. So I think when things are going bad with the club, everyone just looks to fire the coach or fire the sporting director or fire whoever that person's boss is. And right now, since Bruce Arena is gone, and I think Kurt Anolfo is expected to leave at the end of this year or his contract's up. So I think a lot of people don't really have as much anger out towards him. The, the next guy up, there's a lot of anger directed towards him. But um, so I, I, I want to say I, I can't really evaluate his job performance too, too much. But um, I think the answer to the question here is he handles things. So the crafts don't have to worry about it. I think that's his value to the club. He, he kind of oversees the business side of things and um, whether or not you think he's failing at it or succeeding at it. Um, it's hard for me to judge from where I'm sitting, but I do know attendance is going up and it seems like they're, you know, doing well and profiting off of these player sales. So I think on the business side of things, I don't think Robert Kraft has any real issues with it. So that's probably why he's still there. Yeah. Also he's brought us to four MLS cups in his tenure. So uh, I would argue that he's 
not a problem. Well, well, again, but then we're talking about on the field. Is he responsible for on the field product? And I think in my the way I view it, there's kind of a separation there between on field and off field. And, And the other reason I say that, too, is because if he was evaluated for on field performance, he would have been gone with Mike Burns and Brad Friedel in 2019. There was no direction of that club. And that was a a lot of people think we're approaching this that point now. And a lot of people see this as a low point. And I think it's really just because we had so high expectations midway through the season and they've just completely fallen flat. But in 2018, 2019, that team was there was it was very bare bones. There was really no direction. At least now you can kind of say there's an academy, there's kind of some structure in place, there's gonna be money for a new head coach to come in. Um 2019 they cleaned house and he survived it. So in my mind, he's not evaluated for his on-field performance, um, and and when you're not a, when when that's not really part of the factor, um, you know it, it it it's easier to stay long term. So um, I, I think that's kind of where it's coming from. You know, is the team in the green? Yes. Did Boston get their World Cup bid? Yes. Um, did he get a stadium? No. <laughs> to be determined at best. It's but, all right. But I, I, I yeah I. I it's hard for me to look at the team's successes and failures and, and try to attribute it to Bolello. So um, with that being said, Charles Maddock, there's a supporter summit on October 19th at 6.30 p.m. for members of recognized supporter groups that are in good standing. Just a reminder, you can become a, a member of the Rebellion at anyrebellion.org. Um, Porter says, what questions would you like to see answered uh, at the Rebellion Supporters Summit. And Caleb, are you going to the Supporters Summit? I don't know if you have a question in mind. Uh, I will be going. I haven't really formulated my questions yet, but I have a couple people that have reached out to me and how I'm going to formulate a couple of questions. So uh, we're going to take it as it is. And uh, I think it's going to be a good thing for fans and people to get questions answered that they want to hear the answers to, though that those answers may be given back in a... Well, the team thinks, well, uh, it's worth asking it. Um, obviously, the, the Rebellion already said that it won't be broadcasted, but uh, that's all I can add for that so far. Uh, yeah, I think for me, too, I would like to kind of know why this inve- the Bruce investigation went from a club thing, which seemed like it was an internal issue between, I don't know if it was coaches or, but it seemed like it was all within the Revolution organization and it was elevated to Major League Soccer. I'd be curious to see if they had an answer to that. Um, I don't think that's been answered. Um, outside of that, I, I don't have a ton of things because I think a lot of questions have been asked um, at, at the Bruce press conference from last month that kind of got no commented. And we talked to Corey. Uh, I, I will promote that podcast. If you haven't listened, if you want more information on the summit, we interviewed Corey Cloutier last week. Definitely go listen to that if you are interested and in, in what they hope to gain from that. Um, but I, I think I just rehash a lot of those questions, and hopefully there's a little bit more transparency in private with supporters than there is with media. I think that's the whole point of it. I know some people are upset it's not streamed um, and there's no media coverage, but it's not really for me uh, or media in general. I, I think it's so the team and the league can speak directly to supporters, um, and I, I think that gets you a little bit more transparency um, when it's behind closed doors. So, uh, Caleb, we have one more thing to talk about here. Henry Kessler signed a two-year contract extension. The contract runs through 2025 with a team option for 2026. The deal uses targeted allocation money, uh, and that can be applied to signings, extensions, or extensions, uh, provided the salary and acquisition costs are more than the maximum salary budget charge, which in 2023 is 651200 
So basically, Henry Kessler has signed a two-year contract extension with a team option for 2026, and he is making more than 650000 because there's no acquisition costs, obviously. So uh, he's getting a bit of a raise here. Um, I'll get your take on this first. What do you think of this Henry Kessler extension? Absolutely love it. Uh, Henry's done quite well um, to prove that he deserves his contract extension. Um, I know injuries are a concern there. Um, I also do know some degrees of how much he was asking for prior with negotiations with Bruce. I don't know if those numbers are similar. Like you've already stated, it's over $651,000. Note we have two other center backs that are on similar money. Andrew Farrell is at $651,250. And where is Romney. Sorry. Romney. Romney. Yep, I'm looking at it. Sorry. Romney, 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 Romney. It's it's around the same. Yeah. He's on 625 uh, with 671 in guaranteed comp. Uh, I personally, I don't know the number, but I'm, I would estimate this number to be in the sevens or the eights. Uh, this is an $800,000 type deal, uh, not a $600,000 type deal. You take his age, his performance, his uh, he obviously is in some U.S. men's national team camps as well. Kessler is a guy to lock down. It's an important one, and I think it's a great deal. And I think we talked about this. I talked about this with Andy a few weeks ago on what you would do in terms of approaching Henry Kessler. And I kind of floated the idea of maybe you do a one-year stopgap extension where maybe you can get him on a little bit lower money and get him that one year until he reaches free agency. And then he can get a bigger payday um, beyond that if he stays healthy, if he performs to how he's capable. Because when he's healthy, he's fine. He's a starting level center back. Um, You know, him and Romney made a great pairing at the beginning of the season. And then his injuries flared up again. Um, So I think I estimated it around half a million for one year. Uh, and seeing where that goes. And essentially that one year would just get Henry Kessler a free agency and then he can go make you know, uh, his full amount, essentially, uh, what, you know, is basically a one-year bet on me deal. I think I compared it to Adrian Beltre, uh, a few weeks ago when I was on the show, I, I think with getting three years of team control, you are having to pay a little bit more of a premium. And what this strikes me as is a similar deal to the Farrell or Romney deals, which is essentially when you can apply TAM, you buy down that budget, tr- budget hit. So if you are paying Henry Kessler, I'll say $700,000, you can apply Tam to half of that contract. So you can buy him down to 350. And so his cap hit is now 350. If you signed him at half a million dollars, you can't apply Tam to that. Um, you could apply GAM to it and buy it down a little bit. But I think Tam is a resource that they struggle to use, or at least they don't really want to use a ton of it. And so um, they're essentially using this resource to sign a player to an extension and buy down his cap hit very low. Um, so it, it strikes me as the Revs saying, you know, we, we really want two or three years of control here. We're not looking for a one-year deal uh, and then losing you to free agency. We're looking to lock you down for your years to your prime. So it's two guaranteed years with a, a, a third option. If Kessler is still bogged down by injuries, I think this is not a great deal. Um, but if he's able to stay healthy and if he's able to perform how he's performed, I, I think this is a pretty reasonable deal and as i say you're getting him for his prime years um you're getting him for two years and then if he's still performing at that level you can extend it a third year so um i also wonder too and and i think kyle mccarthy made this point on twitter from a revs perspective who's negotiating this deal is it kurt Anolfo? um is it Bellello? uh i don't think Bellello has a lot to do with the on-field things as i just talked about but it's interesting because Anolfo is leaving and so you wonder if 
you know, Adolfo was given a directive, make sure you sign Kessler uh, before the end of the season. Uh, you know, if you're out the door, if you're not sure of your status, are you really that concerned about overpaying a player in year two of a contract? Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see. It is a weird time that um, a new coach is coming in, a new sporting director is most likely coming in. I don't think it's going to be Kern and Alfo. Um, usually when that happens, you let a coach come in and negotiate his stuff or you let a sporting director come in and, and bring in his players. Uh, but here they are locking down Henry Kessler um, essentially making sure he's here for the transition, which is a very interesting, interesting uh, thought process there. So um, yeah, very interesting. But overall, I, I think whether or not this is a good or bad deal comes down to can Kessler stay healthy? I, I think that's more or less the, whether this is going to be a winning contract or not. So yeah, Caleb final thoughts. Yes, sir. What do you want to leave our listeners with and where can people find your work on online? Um, you can find my work at uh, prosamerica.com. You click on the MLS section and click revolution. All my articles are there. You can also follow me on Twitter at Caleb, C-A-L-E-B, Pongratz, P-O-N-G-R-A-T-Z, 10. Uh, I'm 37 followers away from a thousand. So if you could hit a follow, that'd be amazing. Uh, um, overall, I think that the Revs are, it's not time to be worried yet. Um, I think that there is more to give in this season. I want to see some good positives from this Philly game. And I think if we get our quote unquote, get our shit together, um, I think, I think it's not over yet. That's the best way to think about it. It's not over yet. <laughs> oh, uh, you, you and Andy. Optimism. You and Andy optimism. come on this show and you're so optimistic. Oh my goodness, it kills me. Oh my god. Optimism. Optimism. No. I I I will say I think this is the last chance for the team to get right and figure it out. And I was looking at the standings too. Uh, they are in 5th place. Hang on, let me pull yes. it up. They're in 5th. Yes, they need, they need a win against Philly and they need CF Montreal to beat Columbus to finish top four and host two games. Yes. And then uh, Atlanta, Atlanta is playing at Cincinnati. Maybe Cincinnati is not very motivated. So I, I, as long as the revs tie, if the revs tie and Atlanta wins on the road in Cincinnati, uh, Atlanta will, will pass them, but I'm not so sure about that. And then it's basically impossible for Nashville to hurdle new England because the Nashville would need to win. The revs would need to lose and Nashville would need to, their goal differential is eight right now. The revs is 11, so basically, there'd need to be a four goal differential switch between those two uh, for Nashville to, to hop over the refs. So the refs are looking at a top five spot. And to me, if they're able to beat Philadelphia, they would need to win. They need to be, beat Philadelphia by three goals to pass them. Um, but uh, and Columbus is expected to win. So it looks like the refs are going to finish fifth. But my overall point here is if the refs are able to finish the season on a high note, get fifth place. Um, figure out their tactics, figure out their defense. Um, I, I'm a little more optimistic. Uh, but uh, with that being said, I, I think I haven't said a positive thing on this show for, for a month or two. It's bad. It is very bad. And I'm, I'm, uh, it's, I'm very, I'm a little jealous that DC United season ended two weeks ago. I'll put it that way. 
With that being said, you can follow us on Revolution Recap. You can also follow us on Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. Be sure to follow our friends at The Blazing Musket on Twitter, at Blazing Musket, and subscribe to their Substack to receive every piece of news into your email inbox. Be sure to follow our friends at The Rebellion on Twitter. Go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them and the Supporters Summit on October 19th, not October 16th, October 19th. Uh, and also, of course, if you haven't listened to it already, go listen to the podcast I did with Corey Cloutier last week about that event. Also, thank you to our presenting sponsor, Bet Online. Remember to use our promo Believe B L E A V to receive a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Uh, and also, if you have not left us a review on iTunes or Spotify, we would really greatly appreciate it. Thank you to the two people that left us reviews on iTunes last week; it made our week. Uh, and also, um, that's it. Actually, that's it. That's all I have for you guys this week. We will be back following the Philadelphia game. That is going to probably be a Greg and Sean episode. Uh, so make sure you listen in on. Knock on wood, hopefully a revolution win, uh, because we are desperately in need of one of those. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and go Revs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.